Oh yeah, yeah. I mean the the coup shit, the Trump coup shit for sure. But, oh but. yeah, yeah. I definitely want to talk about that because there's some shit that like it, it's it's really funny to me because you know liberals even when we were talking about Russiagate, right? Like this whole thing is really adjacent to something that I've been concerned with since I started studying computer science, which is election integrity. And like liberals take it in such a whacked out, fucked up realm that they're like, this is going to be something. And it's like, this has already happened. What are you talking about? This is new and unprecedented. Do you not remember 2000? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they think that it's going to be... I, I, this is kind of a thing. I think what's going to happen is that Trump, when the coup, is going to be a soft power coup where they utilize the courts, the local governments, and the state governments across the country to basically invalidate a whole bunch of voters and a whole bunch of votes in order to, for him to remain in power. And Democrats are going to say, okay, and just roll the fuck over and do nothing. Um, I don't think what it is going to be is a whole bunch of MAGA people out in the streets saying shooting federal officials and saying that this is going to happen. That will happen after when the people protest it and the Democrats do nothing. And then, like, we have a bunch more Kyle Rittenhouses and we have a bunch more cops beating the shit out of people even more than they are right now. And nobody does anything. And the Democrats are going to once again say, oh, you know, you have to protest the right way. Don't do this even though like we've just shown that democracy doesn't work. So the Democrat base online who is saying like that Trump's going to storm state houses or have the military keep him in power. Like that's a fantasy that doesn't, isn't really even a possibility. We've seen the playbook and, and, you know, one of the things that I really, really like to talk about is the 2002 governor's race in Alabama. And I've mentioned that on the show. I mean, there was one district where the Dem- like the Democrat won the state, everyone went home, and in one district, the Republicans said to the Democratic watchers, you guys can go home, go celebrate, we'll clean up. And then all of a sudden, they, f- they found 6,000 new votes, and that put the Republican, governor- the Republican in the governor's house. Well, when they sued to actually get those votes counted or shown to everyone, like the all of the Republican governmental appointees in Alabama said, no, you can't look at them like you can't recount them. You can't even look at them. They don't exist. They, they he, he lost. And uh, once again, like after a, a legal battle, not a quite as protracted legal battle as Gore's. But like a little legal battle, the Democrat, because of the pressure from the DNC and the National Party, gave up his legal battle and said, fine, you win. And then for the next six years, Karl Rove used the federal government to try and get this guy put in jail, told everyone around himself, this is Carl, told everyone around him that this is uh, revenge for what this guy did and was doing it purposely so that they wouldn't ever try and uncover um, voter discrepancies ever again. And like Democrats are like, oh, no, this isn't going to happen like this. It's like this has already happened multiple times. The biggest election frauds are all committed by domestic actors, both Democratic and Republican. The Democrats cheat in the primary and the uh, Republicans cheat in the general. Well, I mean, yeah, so there's a lot to go into there. I know election, election integrity means a lot to you, if only you. But like there are two 
things that I feel like people are collapsing, some on purpose and some just, you know, using language loosely. But I think it's important to to distinguish them this time, because as John says, one thing is highly likely because it's always happening and the Democratic Party seems to kind of just roll over for it. Or if they don't roll over for it, the noise they make about it is kind of like short term and not really enough for them to, you know, at least in my opinion, take a hardline stance against the Republican Party as a party that just, you know, politically speaking, is not one that operates in the realm of fairness. Right. And then there is the sort of second theory, which is that that Trump is going to do a very literal kind of like coup, like he loses the race, clearly loses and just refuses to like concede right and i think those two things have been kind of collapsed into one because and maybe this is why because the former of those things is already happening it happens all the time and it's likely that it's going to happen not because it's trump but because it's the republicans right it's you know and the need to distinguish trump from the republicans as like uniquely bad or uniquely uh anti-democratic or anomalous in our system you know kind of demands that we escalate the language or heat of like his cheating to the level of like just i you know military occupation military coup which i think is entirely in the realm of fantasy if we were to accurately disaggregate the two types of scenarios we're talking about where you know trump steals the election via the institutional and structural barriers that the republicans have had in place and have been utilizing for you know for base shit for as long as i've been alive for sure uh that kind of raises questions about like how is trump unique and if he is not why do again why do we have all these tools just in place that make it so easy for someone like trump to just step in and essentially steal the election no i think that's a particularly at the end there an excellent point that that these vulnerabilities have persisted because of inaction that has persisted for decades and isn't a, uh, something that just happened because of Trump, but is essentially just being exposed because of Trump's. One of the things uh, I wanted to mention uh, that about what John was saying was that uh, the 2000 election was uh, more than 20 years ago now, or about 20 years ago now. So like uh, there's people that are old enough to vote that weren't alive then. So there are some pe- democratic voters that are just, you know, concerned, scared and looking for answers or solutions to the, the problem that is Trump some are more politically engaged or aware than others. And so the kind of mantra of, you know, we have to vote against this monster and then, you know, resolve everything else after that is not as uh, kind of oblivious and asinine as it is to those of us that remember that we've been hearing that for decades already. Right. And, and, and like, you know, it's not just that they haven't done anything in terms of voter um disenfranchisement or even like the actual rigging of the physical machines is just something I care a great deal about as well. Um, They've actively made it worse and Democrats have helped make it worse. You know, like John Conyers ran a report, took the entire House Judiciary Committee to Ohio in 2004 and found out that on the eve of the election in Ohio, the entire system of tabulation went down and was rerouted through a backup server. And that backup server just happened to be in the basement of the RNC of Ohio. And then people just stonewalled them and nothing fucking happened after that. And like, you know, Diebold, the, the election interference, the election um machine company is no longer in existence but it's es and s which is exactly basically the same owners and they're not allowed in other countries and yet 
the U.S. is now pushing these and new tabulation software elsewhere that's all private black box that's owned outright by private companies that have interests that are antithetical to democracy and nobody bats an eye about it. Like you like you said, it's since 2000, you know, with the hanging Chad, we've had 20 years and we've actively made all this shit worse and Democrats have assisted. So if they wanted to win, they wouldn't have let themselves get to a position where it's a repeat of 2000, they would have actively worked to enfranchise new voters, to make sure that the, Demo the Voting Rights Act was not gutted, to do all of these things that would have ensured that their victory was either up and up and based on their policies, or at least not having to be overwhelming in order to get to a point where they are considered the victors. But I just don't think they're concerned with any of that. Absolutely. Quickly, I just wanted to add, uh, it's not just the systemic stuff, but also the like low level, just basic stuff you mentioned earlier about how the votes are going to be challenged and there's going to be lots of legal challenges. In 2007, Brennan Center report, or there's a report in the Brennan, from the Brennan Center that in 2007, a couple dozen Bethel College students were challenged when they showed up to vote uh, in uh, Indiana, uh, Indiana, I believe, uh, and... Uh, a democratic poll watcher basically just challenged all the students from that university there. And so like, it's not in, we remember during the democratic primary that the voting lines in Texas were extremely long and Democrats yep. had nothing to say about that because they knew it favored uh, the anybody but Bernie. And so like, there's just all these different uh, levels, both at the systemic and at the like very low and like individual level where people, where Democrats demonstrate the ability to do these types of things that, the, when it comes to these legal challenges, there's going to be legitimate things for Republicans to point at that are going to be questionable activities by Democrats, both in Democratic-controlled uh, districts locally and then at the state level as well. So the Electoral College becomes an issue, but... Uh, Oh, and, go ahead and pass it off. And it was, the other thing was that, um, you know, they just kicked the Greens off and they're actively trying to gr kick the Greens off the ballot, utilizing um, in some places clerical errors. But in the main one, which was that the candidate for vice president moved. So he put some of the signature and he moved while he was in the process of getting signatures. So on some of the signature forms, he has his old address and on the new signature forms, he has his new address. And so they're not allowing him to reconcile those two types of forms, even though he moved in the process of getting the signatures. And the Democrats use that to invalidate his entire status and the status of the Greens on the ballot in a state. You don't think that the Republicans are going to start looking for any place that the Joe Biden campaign didn't dot its I's and cross its T's. They just gave them precedent. Of course. And, and like 2016 was the first time I had ever had a ballot challenged. And that was in the Democratic primary, which didn't even actually technically count. But I haven't had one challenge since either, which leads me to believe it has something to do with the people on the 2016 primary. But go ahead. No, I just want to jump in here before we got too far uh down this path because yeah. i do want to say like people, this is a huge path it's, you know, it's a huge path but you know i do want to say despite the fact that i do believe that the idea of a militaristic style coup post trump losing is incredibly incredibly unlikely for reasons that we will continue to go into i don't want to pretend as though the fantasy that is being constructed by like you know the more is coming entirely out of nowhere and not just and, and again right this not is a time to freak out it's a time to freak out and also not just from the place of like yeah there is an entire 
fucking system of barriers and disincentives trump does actively like so doubt about the election and he does actively hint towards the idea that he will refuse to concede in a way that is distinct from other republican presidents other presidents in the past that I would say I would say it's just unacceptable, right? Yeah. You know, it's unacceptable for Trump to do what he's doing at this point. And I want to highlight that, you know, in a real country, he just wouldn't be allowed to do this at all. Like, you know, we wouldn't be going through the process of like we overthrow one... South American countries for their leaders exactly. saying the same thing. Exactly. You know, he, he would not be allowed to even hint at the kind of things that he's hinting at. Like, oh, voting, like, voting fraud is going to happen. Eight voters per thing. Like we kind of allow that in a way that I think is uniquely you know, uniquely allows for conspiracy theories or this level of tr of distrust to fucking like metastasize. And I don't like the, you know, I don't like the tendency of people who think that they're more reasonable conservatives. I'm thinking of like who, who I don't know who Crystal Ball's fucking uh, co-host is on the hill. Sagar. It, it doesn't. It, I don't. It doesn't matter. But like he did a whole video, like little fucking like list series about like, oh, libs are freaking out about the post office and like all their evidence is wrong and like it doesn't like, see how prone they are to flipping out. And there is, I think, a tendency of when people react to what Trump says for people who consider themselves, you know, center right, more Trump leaning, more Republican friendly centrist to kind of imply that we just have to exist in the in a world where politicians are allowed to say whatever they want to say and if you find it to be disqualifying or whatever like it's because you don't understand it and if you don't and if you do understand it you don't understand why it's been, being said and if you do understand why it's being said you're misinterpreting who the audience is and like and if you do understand all those things then fuck you you're just you know supporting the democrats so like we are forced into this i think political media paradigm where people are kind of you know just left in the dark about what is and is not true because just things that are generally shouldn't be allowed to be said are just basically platformed without any kind of real pushback go well, ahead I, th I think that the, the other portion is though that like like i've been saying like richard's been saying trump's not saying anything that's not necessarily true like we know there are shenanigans when it comes to elections across the country and have been i mean um jfk stuffed a ballot box in order to win a primary like we know this reagan dealt with terrorists in order to make sure that he had october surprise like we know this shit has happened throughout u.s history because we don't have any type of election integrity and yet like when trump just comes out and gives away the game and, and just says i'm not going to adhere to the norms like you were saying of like i'm not going to talk about this shit presidents aren't going to try to in, uh invalidate an election before it happens that's just a norm we're going to say like oh yes we believe in the systems that we believe in america because let's be honest i mean it's a cultural and collective myth that allows this whole thing to keep happening over and over again every four years well that's true right but i would just so, say to interrupt one second though it's like that's true and i agree that we don't have any kind of election integrity however even in a situation where we did like you said our system many of our systems rely on a certain level of like faith and right. if like the head of state is like actively sowing distrust in like the integrity of the election in a way that i would say is distinct from the actual problems that we have which are myriad then that's just generally something that we can't we could not ever allow but we're forced to allow it and the burden of deciding whether you believe it or how is kind of just like offset to the viewer or to the voter or to the citizen by certain aspects of the media who just pretend like well yeah you should just allow trump to say whatever he wants and then you know or even biden too to say right. whatever he wants and then 
you know, if you interpret it in a bad way or in a way that's not incredibly flattering, it's, you know, just your fault and that's either whatever. Right. Right. But I mean, that gets to our, our greater critique of the media in general. Like and But my point is, is that, you know, Trump is literally saying out loud what the Republicans have been doing for decades. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not that he's lying. You know, he's not lying at all. He's saying giving the electoral strategy that has allowed the minority of people in the country to have the majority of power in the country, which is using legalese, uh, electronic interference, as well as physical interference in order to interfere with the voting process. And he's just telegraphing that that's what they're going to do. And so, you know, it, it's the one thing that Trump constantly does is, you know, he's takes the mask off and it's just another moment of him taking the mask off and like you're 100 percent right the the media has not reacted to this mask off moment in an an, at all appropriate way by even talking briefly about all the things that we've talked about so far and we've only been recording for like 10 minutes and talking for 10 minutes and we've listed out like 10 instances of electoral interference that have happened at a systemic as well as an individual scale that have nothing to do with an individual like voters choice or like the message that they're like you're saying trying to tell the voter to hey go out and vote like you know nancy pelosi was just saying go out and vote when her response to the news that trump basically said out loud that he's going to invalidate the election nancy pelosi's response is go out and vote like the third most powerful person in government her response is to the people go out and vote not we're going to make sure that every power we have available to us is to make sure that this election is on the up and up no it's just putting the onus back onto the individual which is exactly the same thing the media does with a false or true statement that they they're just incapable of evaluating it falls to me and you to do so well i think part of like i think hillary clinton back in august actually saw this ironically and then when she told biden not to concede because she remembers 2000 and she knows that there's a very like like likely chance that trump may lead on election night Fox News will be talking about how it looks like he won or maybe even declaring that he won and that if uh, it'll look like it's the Democrats that are like waiting on all these aspects like that's why one of the reasons why they're trying to talk about how it's not going to be election night but election week is because the way that the narrative is going to play out to the typical voter the uh, you know the uh, uninformed uh, observer is just that okay there was an election the results show that Donald Trump has this big lead Democrats are refusing to accept that. And now after a week later, they're going to say that the, you know, the actual results are this. And then there's going to be weeks of legal challenges. And then those media, those narratives are going to see competing uh, airtime. And it's going to be such a muddle and so confusing that like Hillary Clinton recognizes that the inclination will be for Joe Biden to to just concede. Yeah, because otherwise it'll undermine the reliability and like the whole kind of concept of American democracy. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's better to just concede and let Trump exist for another four years and like hope he dies or anything else rather than to have the kind of chaos that would ensue in actually having, you know, Trump have a small contingent of of radicals that, you know, help him uh, make forcibly removing him unpalatable to the rest of the public. I don't think I agree generally with like the idea of like any sort of military style coup to any like significant extent is unlikely for all the reasons that you mentioned, but the idea that he could have, you know, a few hundred people surround the white house or a few thousand people surround the white house where it becomes a choice of, well, the only way to remove this person from office is going to be to forcibly do it. And that there may be a lot of bloodshed 
that Democrats aren't up for that. They'd rather just acquiesce to the system. I agree with you, right? I mean, I think that they go out of their way to come across as conciliatory to the Republicans. You know, how much of that is ideology in the sense that they, you know, they really, really want to seem as though they're the adults in the room who are always willing to compromise. And how much of that is just because like, well, you know, if they give into Republicans that, you know, the elites still win, right? That's my theory. I mean, well, yeah, because a lot, we have to acknowledge that the Democratic Party has done a masterful job of constructing a metric by which they are capable of like losing to a party that they describe as being like dumb and backwards and, you know, cousin fucking Southern like hillbillies, right? It's like that's the homogenized Republican voter that the Democratic Party sort of puts in front of their, you know, most credulous liberal base versus like the truth of like, well, you know, a lot of these people are just like your neighbors or like the other person who works in like your department at like the company work for even like your boss at the the company you work for who just happens to belong to a different socioeconomic class than you no matter how many diversity days they have at uh the tech startup he still wants you know to pay less taxes right but i would say that i think that even beyond the structural barriers let's say you go out and vote and your name has been purged from the voter rolls or like you know you didn't do like the incredibly esoteric tedious check boxes on the mail-in voter sheet fucking correctly so they just disqualify your vote or any number of things that you might just never find out like forgetting those things there is a possibility that you will simply just like put the democratic party into the positions that they say they need to be in in order to like essentially do what you like you know enact your will enact their will and they'll just fucking drop the ball the obama administration was literally the conciliatory attitude towards republicans that you know if we you know bargain with them and all that stuff and health care became a negotiation with amongst themselves and the democrats still threatened to sabotage it if they included a public option so like right. and that was with the super majority that was filibuster proof even more akin to like the gore situation like like if you all go out and vote for biden which i mean up to you there is a chance that he just will fucking like like that trump will challenge and he'll say okay you know i don't want to come across as being too mean to the president or being too unwilling to like compromise republicans and so you've done your part and then they just won't do there right because democrats will have to make a bunch of legal challenges in order if it's a close election anyway uh, it will they will have to make a bunch of legal challenges in, or, or fight a bunch of legal challenges in order to claim the election and that's going to be contentious i'm sorry just go back to what you're saying about him like occupying or refusing to leave the white house thing when it comes to that you know frankly i think people get that image in their head and like that's supposed to be really powerful for them not that you're doing this but like that doesn't mean you're still president because right. you were because you've locked yourself in a building doesn't mean that the heads of military and states and you know uh security agencies or intelligence agencies are going to listen to you or even other countries are going to listen to you right it just means you've locked yourself into a building and now like they have to find a way to get you out right it would be incredibly weird if he locked himself in the building after clearly losing and democrats were just like well we can't get him out like so i guess we just have to president i guess he's he's president right i think it just comes down to like people don't really seem to like trump that much at least not the people who he would need to be on his side to make that work like generals don't seem to like him very much or like you know the people who are always kind of trying to go to war with syria or iran don't particularly care for him i think a lot of people just see him as a useful tool to displace all of the blame that they would usually see for trying to do these things onto right and i think that you know there is a little bit of this sort of joint delusion being suffered by like trump 
in Trump's most virulent supporters in like the credulous liberal base that kind of about you know Trump doing a literal military coup after he loses legitimately which I would say Democrats should be more concerned with doing that part first right like mm-hmm. making sure he loses legitimately because if you look back to 2016 they were saying the same shit about how he was going to like do a coup and refuse to leave and all this other shit then they just lost anyway and so like it didn't really matter as much but that kind of depends on you really thinking that Trump being so uniquely bad in the ways that liberals hate actually means that he's so uniquely good in the ways that people who control power like that it makes it worth supporting something like that and putting yourself out there when they can still get what they want from like a Joe Biden presidency. Right. They're going to get what they want from a Joe Biden presidency. It might be easier for them to cut social security on a Joe Biden presidency. Well, it's just, it's, I don't know, man. The whole thing with Trump is that, you know, he's supposed to be some sort of aberration and yet like, and he's supposed to be so dangerous and yet yesterday and uh, the Supreme Court's supposed to be so important. And yet yesterday, 92 uh, out of 100 senators voted for his uh, justice, not a Supreme Court justice, but another judge to be appointed. And he's appointing straight from the Federalist Society. So it's not like he's got his own panel. He's a lazy moron who's just listening to really bad people. And the judges are going to cement conservative power in this country forever. And so that their minority rule is going to help hinge on us allowing judicial review of every single fucking law at every single fucking level to make sure that we can just invalidate anything that might change anything going forward and democrats are helping him do that so it's kind of like all right so if he's such an aberration why the fuck are you helping him do exactly what you're saying he needs to be removed from power in order to prevent him from doing well, that's one of the things that is important to highlight about how Republicans go about this is like the kind of uh, like electoral uh, malpractice and so on and so forth uh, for Democrats is a lot about securing their own personal or like regional or whatever uh, power. Whereas Republicans, it's not about like keeping their particular office. It's about obtaining systemic power to enforce their uh, their ambitions. And so which like, they benefit from. Yeah, so like Democrats through the entire Trump presidency have been conceding judges for uh, superficial policy uh, concessions, essentially. And so like for short term electoral, uh, like propaganda type messaging things, they've been giving uh, Republicans judges all over the federal courts. So where as the judges will be there for years, policy was temporary, gone. Lots of it has already expired, just doesn't exist anymore. But the judges are there. And they're going to stay there. <laughs> We've got judges deciding the fate of protesters right now, looking to put them into jail longer than the the cops that shot Breonna Taylor are, are even being considered to get. Like, we've got yeah. a, a, a Texas judge um, who's trying to put some PSL members, I believe it's Texas, PSL members in jail for surrounding a, a police precinct and asking the chief of police to come out and talk to him on a loudspeaker, which he did. And they're now trying to charge these protesters uh, with 18 counts of kidnapping for surrounding a police station with 18 police officers in it i think i saw on my timeline recently that a uh a council person was recently arrested yes, and charged with fir- yeah first degree rioting and so like it, it's it's become it's getting out of hand in general but i also want to just quickly mention that there was the memo that the intercept reported on that describes some of the ways that democrats could be interfering with the both the kind of the supreme court a justice appointment, but then just generally with Republicans that if they're going to uh, do what they're doing, uh, do what they're doing regarding just 
pushing through their agenda, regardless of how hypocritical or obscene it is, that Democrats could be obstruction or be acting in an obstructionist manner to prevent them from being able to do that may not may or may not be successful. But these are things that they could be doing. There's like 19 different things. And I don't believe Democrats are doing any of them. Nothing. All of this just stems from the fact that the Democrats are completely and totally adverse to governing because governing will actually break up the Big Tent coalition. Again, the need to disaggregate like coup in the literal sense from just Republicans trying to steal the election is important to me because like Republicans trying to steal the election is just a thing that we know is going to happen because that just happens every it's happening right now. It's always happening. Right. And so to describe that as a coup to me, like, you know, just that literal stealing election, I'm fine with that as long as we admit that the Republicans are doing coups all the time. Georgia. But at the same time. Right. It just seems like it's another part of the escalation of like this is a disaster politics and Trump is the most unique threat. And, you know, we're escalating that language to, well, he might just be part of a coup. But, yeah, you know, frankly, if he does do anything, it's going to be use the things that the Republicans and Democrats have already left in place to steal the election the way that the Republicans always right. do. And then we're going to be forced into a, you know, a paradigm where Dems are going to be forced to a paradigm where they just kind of have to let it happen because it's just built into their relationship with Republicans. And we don't like, and the fact that Republicans have built this sort of illegitimate election machine to make sure that they can stay competitive at the national and state and local levels in some places is never enough for Democrats to take a hard line stance against them. But it's supposed to be just enough for us all to be concerned about like Trump. Is Trump going to steal the election like Republicans normally do? Or is he going to do something that uniquely Trumpian, I suppose, is like, well, you can't even talk about the ways Republicans normally steal the election because the Democratic Party has invited those people into their party to be against Trump. So at a certain point, you're, you're just inviting the people who have built these weapons because like they lost them. They lost control of them to a degree that you find to be just unamenable, if that. Right. And I guess that's to me is like to disconnect. It's like if you just like follow this path of logic down like one or two steps, you get back to the Democrats and then and then people get really cagey about like how it's supposed to work. Right. Because so much of it relies on putting faith into a party that just fucking like fumbles the ball every time. If you do every part of the role you're supposed to do, they might still just fuck up or they might still have just painted themselves into a strategic corner that they can't get out of for the time being. And that's not a disqualifying thing for them or rather that can't be part of a disqualifying thing thing for them because like they're the only ones who are even in the position to fumble and, and that gets to my greatest point about the the democratic party is the fucking is the producers they make more money on a loss than they do on a, on a win because when they win they have to govern and when they have to govern they have to actually adhere to the people that give them money not the people that give them votes and the people that give them money are overwhelmingly like upper echelons of businesses like wall street tech and other places because they've completely destroyed and gutted the unions which used to be their funding base and they've done so because they thought oh okay we can't bring a gun to a knife fight um or we can't bring a knife to a gunfight rather and when the well, all the the reaganite uh policies were passing in the 80s and now they're left to the point where oh, okay well we still get half the money that the republicans get and we need that money to survive as our current incarnation rather than actually trying to get and register new voters so they've backed themselves like you said it's not a matter of like oh they're strategically incompetent their strategic goals are completely different than what their stated goals are. Their strategic goals are to exist as they currently exist, which is a mechanism by which you have a whole bunch of very wealthy people, a whole bunch of middling wealthy people, and a whole bunch of 
people who are like on the up and up in consultancies are the only people in the Democratic Party that matter. And so in order to keep them in the conditions in which they want, you have to take a all the money from Wall Street that you can and then turn around and govern as if Wall Street is your only constituency. And now that leaves you in a point where you're like, okay, so we have completely blue states with completely blue cities with completely blue state governments who are refusing to uh, cut back on funding for police as police are out in the streets beating people's heads. And the Democrats are saying the same shit that they were saying about the Dakota Access Pipeline, the same shit that they were saying about the Watts rats, the same shit that they were saying about the move bombings. Like, it's just the same story over and over and over again. And it's just becoming more apparent that it's all a giant fucking lie because they're more interested in maintaining the structures of their own power and wealth than they are in anything else. Well, one thing that I think is important is that if people are really concerned about the integrity of our election, Democrats in particular, then surely they've all called for international election observers to come to their states and observe their elections to make sure that they're right. So like, but oh, apparently that's that's not happening. And I mean, and the, then you have the additional step that Republican states explicitly outlaw international observers from, or many Republican states outlaw international observers. And so it's there's a fundamental like lack of cohesion and understanding that is taking place that I think is bewildering to those of us like you or I, John, that are looking at the historical nature of electoral malfeasance and concluding, making the conclusions we are, and those that are kind of being awoken to this idea that they had thought they lived in the most glorious democracy in the world, only to find out that it's actually in complete and utter shambles. I did want to bring up the fact that, you know, now we're looking at an expansion of, of making protesting illegal, you know, beyond just allowing protesters to be run over by cars. Which is happening more, too. After, you know, allowing people back into restaurants, DeSantis, you know, made it basically set up RICO laws when it comes to, I guess, donated to Black Lives Matters movements, which who knows what kind of chilling effect that's going to have on free speech. You know, if people it can be tried, if there's like any kind of, you know, suspected or manufactured legal activity at some kind of protest that their money never even saw, right? I mentioned that the with the uh, election monitoring that it was also some rather purple states and critical states that are going to be in 2020 for Nevada, Nevada and Pennsylvania. I think earlier I mentioned in our uh, group chat that uh, Pennsylvania is going to have an issue of essentially they can already foresee uh, thousands of votes being invalidated uh, based off of uh, the the envelope scheme that they have there and that without that that's essentially going to be one of the things that's going to get challenged and it's going to end up like the the hanging chads in Florida it's just one of several potential avenues for this to 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 happen and so with the criminalizing of protesting the i think that there's going to be protests election day the day after election the day after that there's going to be massive protests like those there's already some scheduled regardless of who wins but if uh, the more contentious the outcome the more likely and the larger those protests are going to be and laying the groundwork for the kind of uh, authoritarian fascistic response that we've already been seeing and has gone relatively unchallenged other than uh joe biden insisting that uh protesters you know stop defending themselves essentially uh, yeah that was great well, i mean that that it it's going to like that the it's going to be a chaotic week 
post-election, no matter what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the Brooks you know, Brothers the pro- riot. I mean, they had literal dudes in Brooks Brothers suits banging down a recount, a place where they were recounting ballots to stop that from happening. Also, I will say, you know, Joe Biden and the Democratic Party being so willing to sort of like criticize violent protests or even give legitimacy to the fact that violent protests are happening in a way that's meaningful, as opposed to like people are fed up with the institutional failures of the state right before we go into an election where they suspect that there might be some sort of like funny business surrounding like election integrity. They set up these environments where all they can do is fucking lose and back themselves into a strategic corner because like, yeah, let's say let's say fucking Trump does try something that is anomalous to even Republicans, not so far as military coup, but something that's clearly malfeasance. And then people get people take to the streets and they, you know, and then there's one or two protests where like a window gets broken in like Boise, Idaho. And Trump goes, well, you see, martial law, Joe Biden has his like people coming out in the streets doing violent protests. And he like and he can't keep control of them. And they've already laid the sort of rhetorical groundwork. Says, Yeah, you're right. We have to have law and order. Right. So, like, you know, for me, it seems not to be overly critical of the Democrats, but Why they not? are so like, if you were to be if you were to be serious about the idea that Trump might do something untoward with the election, the like going into this mode that they seem to adopt where like they have to accept the Republican premise that, well, yeah, some protests should be allowed, but there is a you know, an argument that things are getting out of hand in a way that requires violent crackdown right before it might rec- you might require people taking to the streets just seems to me to be like completely like just short sighted. But that I mean, particular capping themselves, they're, but they're not kneecapping themselves, themselves really, because they're, they're kneecapping. Yeah, us. they're kneecapping us. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. They're kneecapping yeah. us. And that was my other point before I let you guys get in. I'm sorry. All we've been talking about, I think, speaks to a very specific phenomenon that is widespread to our society, but comes in, for me, comes into super stark relief when we talk about the relationship between Democratic voters who aren't like just, you know, basic sheeple who are just like happy to vote for whatever is put in front of them, but people who are like adjacent to us or like who operate in our circles who like find themselves being torn between like like what they feel is a super meaningful decision between voting for Joe Biden or not voting for Joe Biden. I'm like, yeah, doesn't really, Joe Biden doesn't even seem sold on Joe Biden. So what the fuck fuck (laughs) am I supposed to be? I live in a state where the system has already disenfranchised me. So go ahead, continue. No, I was going to say, it's just like, it seems as though people are very willing to accept arguments from institutions that the entirety of the responsibility for maintaining like anything really the, the sanctity of the institution the sanctity of societies the social order public health etc cetera, etc cetera, is just on individuals like it's just the individual's job to you know make sure that joe biden wins the individual voters job to make sure joe biden wins it's the individual voters job to like you know ensure that protests remain peaceful as defined by like the cops who are just trying to beat protesters it, you know it's everyone's job to make sure that the institutions that are held by the most powerful people are not you know essentially burdened with the responsibilities that theoretically their institution exists to fulfill right it's such a weird phenomenon i think well not weird it's just you know basic neoliberalism but what is the democratic party really doing to make it easier for you to like make people vote for joe biden or make joe appeal to voters if there is going to be a coup like put some stuff in place to make sure that we can prevent it like what are they doing to prevent to save election integrity you know what like what are they actually doing people seem to like be very willing to just go like okay well the democratic party at the institutional level has has said they can't do anything because they've painted themselves into strategic corners after we put them in place right that's so like their institutional burden is just not 
they can't fulfill that. So it's just the individual's job. People are willing to accept that kind of burden, I think, and the mental baggage and guilt and shame that comes along with that burden, even as And meanwhile, they're letting the institution like, define the parameters within which the individual is allowed to react as well. Exactly. People people think it's more legitimate to like expect people who support individual ideologies to be able to police the behavior of every individual who profess to claim about that same ideology. But the idea that the police should be expected to like, you know, maintain their own order and rank in like a top down institution is just like, no, that that like that seems a little bit too hard to expect right. from them. Well, no, no, that's it. Exactly. And like, you know, I'm I'm reading about the Chicago way today and I'm just reminded like, you know, Bobby Seale was chained up and gagged to the point where blood was coming out of his mouth in court because they were charged with rioting during what was clearly a police riot because they were the 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 government didn't allow for a permit for the protest to happen that they were trying to take part in. And it's kind of like that the the metrics by which the Democrats of the time or even like the progressives or whoever at the time were um, describing what he did and describing his actions are the same metrics that are now coming from like the or the same messaging that's coming now from the Biden campaign where it's like like you said every the the protest organizers are responsible for maintaining the order of the entire protest made up of thousands of individuals and like DeSantis is now trying to use that exact legal theory to make RICO charges stick against protest organizers if someone breaks a window of Bank of America. And, you know, the individual voters of the Democratic Party, anyone who's aligned with the Democrats, anyone who finds themselves not aligned Republicans who want to make sure that we don't devolve into a fascist state, you know, they're responsible for ensuring the Democratic Party wins. The Democratic Party is not held to the same sort of burden. And I think right. that that's just like evident. It's evident when we talk about the Supreme Court, because every individual liberal voter voter or a non-Republican voter is beaten over the head with the importance of the Supreme Court and how it's important enough to make us basically throw away any other policy or just basic concern. human rights concern just to make sure that the, the Democrats are placed into the position to theoretically, you know, make the best decisions possible. Like, so we have to, as individual voters, throw away any sort of material concerns that we have to think strategically about this, the Supreme Court vote and justices. Once the Republic Democrats are in place to set those justices and the justices are there, they're not responsible for thinking that at, at all. It's like, you know, we're dealing with like, you know, uh, you know, to bring RBG into the conversation, you know, R RIP RBG. She was not responsible for leaving at a point that would was strategic. The Democratic Party was not responsible for, you know, organizing a way to replace her or to fill the seat that was left vacant with Obama and any real way but you know we it's like it's not even that strategic she had she got diagnosed with a terminal illness is like that's a pretty good reason to retire wait no she's allowed to she is allowed to prioritize her individual career like she is allowed to prioritize her individual career and her individual legacy over the strategy of securing the supreme court indefinitely for the democratic party so we're not allowed to judge her for that because rbg once you vote the democratic party politicians into office to make sure that the republicans don't hold those seats and do bad things they don't actually owe you anything which is like again where this logic kind of breaks down for me when and i kind of i have i just have such a hard time like enabling it because you know even if you do everything you're supposed to do the mentality is basically democratic parties don't doesn't really owe you anything other than to make sure the republican party can't make things as bad as they would theoretically like to and then if they fail at that they still don't owe you better 
Right. And so right. Like, and like, you know, even posthumously, you're not allowed to critique the things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did on the court. Like she used a, th- a legal theory of eminent like that. It has its origins in eminent domain to side against indigenous people in the Supreme Court. And like there, it sounds when you read into it, it sounds like hokum. But she basically just said that, you know, it, it, it white people had the right to take that land. And, you know, you're not allowed to criticize that now because like you just said, the Democrats are not up to they're to hold like placeholders to prevent a Republican from holding the same place. And once they're in there, they're sacrosanct. They're heroes. It doesn't matter if they end up doing some of the same things that a Republican would have done there and that they were right. placed there to prevent or to, to avoid. And one of the things uh, that kind of ties into all this that uh, I wanted to mention is like the one accomplishment from that supermajority of Democrats in the House and the Senate and having the presidency all at the same time is Obamacare. And because of this poor strategical decisions and or however you want to describe it of the of managing the Supreme Court, it's now in jeopardy during the lame duck session. So regardless of whether Trump sets uh, uh, appoints a pr- uh, another justice or whether Joe Biden wins, Obamacare, the inv- individual mandate, could be uh, struck as unconstitutional uh, by an already conservative court. All of Obamacare, not just the individual mandate, but if they made an amendment in the House to Obamacare that removed the uh, individual mandate, Obamacare could stay. But they're refusing to do that. And so then you also have the other aspect of that if when they lose the like kind of the perpetual aspect of the Supreme Court that Brandon mentioned earlier was like if they lose to Trump, it gives the opportunity for Clarence Thomas to retire. And who knows if Breyer makes it through four years of Trump, that the Republicans could essentially make the Supreme Court uh, a conservative court for decades, which would then turn it into an electoral issue that Democrats could basically say, well, uh, you need to elect us if you want to get the Supreme Court. But it would be decades of winning before they could actually reverse it. And they'd just have to be winning all the time because if they ever lost, the Republicans could go and end around and then secure it for even longer. And, and so, dismantle <laughs> everything they put, quite possibly put in place, much like they're doing with Obamacare, which is the reason why the Democrats gave during the primary for us not to push Medicare for all because Obamacare was so amazing. And even something as as fundamental as uh, the autonomy of a woman's body is uh, in jeopardy because of these decisions and because of their obsession with adhering to a court where, like, if the Supreme Court says that abortion is illegal, Democrats are going to be like, oh, I guess I got to throw these people in jail now. And abortion has been functionally fucking illegal in a lot of places because the goddamn courts have been taken over by not only these uh, these right wing fucking places like the Federalists, but also a whole bunch of Catholic institutions that are spending a whole crap ton of money to get people on the court to basically on um, federal courts and state courts across the country in order to basically make abortion uh, functionally illegal for many people. Yeah, access is is ridiculously hard for many people around the country. I've... Oh, no, yeah, the access issue and the fact that, you know, a lot of these conservative judges and these conservative districts that have been taken over by gerrymandering around the South, you know, are allowed to do this despite the fact that, you know, in many places, again, like, this is sort of the the occlusion that occurs when you allow the two-party system to operate without any kind of real, like, you know, 
investigation as to like who is representing who and for what it's like the democratic party if you believe the way they interact with the republicans you would think that the republicans actually represent 50 percent of what america of americans like you would think that the republican party is like the true manifestation of 50 percent of what like of 50 percent of the american population's desires as it pans out in terms of like oh no polling or whatever and that narrative that the republican party actually represents basically half of the population is kind of how we end up into this sort of like faux faux uh political spectrum that like puts the center so far to the right because if you know if you actually ask americans about what they believe on like even abortion in the south it's much higher than you than like the rates of republican republican uh, politician support support would lead you to believe right but you see or, or even democratic policy positioning support of course right so i mean for me a part of this is just like the democratic party allows the republican party to exist in this kind of you know i would say inconsistent and not reflected by reality position in the minds of the people and that's also reflected in how like they let trump live it's like you know the whole coup scenario is just another manifestation of the fact that like oh yeah so trump is sometimes a liar but he sometimes can be presidential you know if he happens to be bombing the right people but he also might just be literally doing a coup like he might just be literally planning a military takeover of american population but you know what that those are all just sort of things that we have to kind of just sit back and allow because the opposition party is more or less relying on that to just be a fucking you know rhetorical thing and not really a legitimate material threat to at least not their earning potential i was just gonna say demanding that we take this threat seriously while they like demonstrably don't and that the end while they don't help us right but they make a shit ton of money, which makes them the producers. Like, they made more money. When RBG died, they made $160 million over the weekend. And then all of a sudden, now Nancy Pelosi is saying they're not going to do anything to slow down the, the nomination for the next Supreme Court justice. I mean, they're too busy trying to get the Green Party removed from fucking uh, ballots all over yeah. America. And then people, like, make this issue about the Green Party specifically and how effective or ineffective they are. But here's the thing. The Green Party is not the barrier to leftist fucking supremacy in America the same way the Democrats party is right i mean you right people who are obsessed with getting the green party off of the ballots in places because it you know it allows for an easier path to democratic victory to me strike me as still making excuses for democrats to not be proactive or responsible for getting themselves elected because the alternative is that we all be killed in by republicans theoretically and so they're right. not even responsible for like joe biden doesn't even have to like stay fucking quiet and not say that he wants to give the police more money even as the democratic party is like well there might be a coup after election dates so prepared again to the streets <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Democrats are going to try to give, you know, more power and authority and clout to the police and are also going to be telling people to get in the streets to protest a win that they've, you know, more or less facilitated for decades of just inaction. Even in inaction and messaging, like they haven't even messaged on this. It's just so asinine. It's like, really? Your, your solution is to get people that vote and, and, and essentially try to boot their option off the sy out of the system 
like that's gonna like lure voters towards you somehow instead of i don't know taking the 40 some odd percent of people that didn't vote and at least half of them that already just agree with you that aren't further left than you that aren't like they just don't think that any of the politicians care and just i don't know pitching them and like sincerely telling them and showing them that you actually give a shit about them and like and getting the millions of them to vote like that doesn't seem like a valid electoral strategy instead you're going to appeal to these uh, theory these like mis like mythical fucking uh, whatever reasonable republicans that voted for donald trump but somehow in the next 30 days are gonna see the light and realize you know he's actually gone too far now well that's what the thing is is that's a, a massive fundraising opportunity for them if they can get those people to come over to their side because those are the middle managers of all of the types of industries that they want to court so it, it's that's who they're trying to get and that's probably what we've seen from 2018 is that they're relatively successful which leads me to think that the democrats are building an entirely new coalition that much like and anything that they do going forward much like the new deal is going to leave behind massively leave behind uh, populations of this country that are in danger and it's going to be purposeful and they're going to much like they, they use racism as an excuse to leave black people behind during the new deal they're going to use a similar like similar thing to leave behind all of these people and it's going to be like really really bad as we've seen with the pandemic response where we've seen a massive upward concentration of wealth as a direct result of our government's response and it seems like this is the only thing that we they can do going forward is this kind of legislator one more thing on the green i think it's part of the the mentality of the democrats and the the brain rot of the democrats that like they hate the greens more than they hate republicans right like they hate ralph nader more than they fucking hate bush well, I mean, I don't think in a competition, just like an abstract sense, it's a legitimate critique of another team to be trying to win. Right. I don't think you can make the critique when you're in a competition, you know, that you've agreed to the rules like an election to go like, oh, you see, it's not fair because the Green Party voters vote for the Green Party. Right. And I think that's like what we see with the Democratic Party, too, where like do you see some of the voters who just sim like seemingly do not think it's fair that they have to like actually compete for people. And so instead of like offering people something the only thing they can really do is kind of take away their options but i mean i did want to pivot more specifically to the supreme court and rbg news if only because i well i mean I, I don't have a lot of thoughts about rbg specifically like i'm not a supreme court i i'll put it this way i don't think the supreme court should exist in any right. like, meaning do I. I don't think it works and i think it's anti-democratic by design and even if it weren't it's just proven itself to be so deleterious to our democratic process even at this just the but it, so, but again it's all because they won't they refuse to legislate they refuse to actually put forward popular policies that will help people and then fight for those policies in the public sphere so they're not doing their job so they're relying on the supreme court to be the cudgel by which they get voters yeah i mean packing the course is the illusion of change like it's the yeah. it's the illusion 100%. of systemic change when in reality it actually just makes it i would say more volatile because at least where it stands now i mean where it stands now it's like probably going to be six three conservative liberal right so like what you choose to do now and as you've been painting this corner i don't fucking know i wouldn't have gone to this position so i don't think it's fair to ask me with how i would fucking get out of it <laughs> right so you know mm -hmm. so, so it, it just is what it is but like so you've turned it from a theoretical situation where like these are lifelong appointments they shouldn't be shouldn't exist at all so it's kind of a toss-up during whose 
particular presidency, under which party sort of presidency, the Supreme Court vacancies happen. So, you know, it may be every four years, it may be every eight years you lose your civil rights. It may be every 16, who knows, depending on how it overlaps, right? These people, like, don't have, like, you know, they don't they don't fucking snuff them when they hit a certain age, which, again, you know, <laughs> might be make it easier. <laughs> But no, it's like it just turns into like, okay, so, you know, every four to, you know, basically every four to eight years, uh, your civil rights are going to be rolled back. It just makes it it just makes it it just codifies that to me. Like, okay, yeah. So but then they refuse to legislate to put them forward again. So it's it's a ratcheting effect. Well, and part of the problem is because uh, like a lot of this stuff, it boils down to it have like if you're going to recognize the Supreme Court as having an authority on this stuff, a lot of the laws that they want to pass need a constitutional amendment because the Constitution didn't really account for the situation that they're trying to address with the with the legislation. And so like it may the legislation itself may actually be unconstitutional according to the letter of the law. And the only way to resolve that is to change the Constitution. But that takes uh, a like a political will and majority that Democrats can't manifest. But I just also wanted to add that the Supreme Court has always been like, we have this idea that it's like some sort of superior institution, all those things. It is anti-democratic and it was designed that way, as you mentioned, and it's always been partisan. And it was like Washington just appointed some people that were going to rule on, on things the way he wanted to. And then the Supreme Court established its own base, basically established its own, uh, precedent to give it the legitimacy to rule on the the constitutionality of legislation and then from there there's been attempts to pack and so on and so forth and like it's just the the concept the conceptual understanding that people have of the supreme court is based off of a dr like dramatic historical misunderstanding similar to how like our primaries function and a lot of things within our political system function are based off of these kind of myths that we tell ourselves and norms and norms and rather than actually written down in the law itself so that if it if and when it ever gets brought to a point where somebody is so bold to challenge the norm and 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 say well where is it written that it has to be this way uh that there isn't an answer it's it's kind of like in like random little uh like uh small sporting events when they don't realize that they needed a rule that said that you can't, you know, bring whatever, you know, a, a professional player in to play on your team. Like, we didn't think we needed that rule, but now that since we didn't write that rule, you're right, technically, you can have that professional player play on your team. And it's like, hey, we have to honor the spirit of the competition because we all agreed to these rules when we signed up. And so or there's an aspect of that. The, the forward pass in football is another example. Right. I mean, there was no passing in football and all of a sudden there was because someone just dared to do it. It was just norm that you didn't do that. And I, I think what you, you said is, is 100 percent spot on. And it's just kind of amazing because like even in Democrats most vaunted history, which is let's admit it, it's FDR. They don't admit that FDR literally had to threaten the courts in the Supreme Court in order to get anything that he passed passed. And now you have the most popular policies in America were passed under FDR because he specifically threatened the court with court packing and removal of justices when they just kept saying that everything he was trying to do, including Social Security, was invalid and unconstitutional. Yeah. He also had to ignore the Democrats that were tutting their finger about, you know, the the risk of packing the court and all those types of arguments that we're also hearing again. I mean, you can't, you can't get too mad at them. Like, they like the whole, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, girl boss thing, right? What to me, which to me seems kind of like, I don't know, fucking patronizing or like infantilizing because i think she's like the supreme court justice or some shit i don't know uh but like they like the idea of like the whole like girl boss scenario so a lot of their 
big, big, big sort of like complaints about the world can be offset by like the promise that the problematic institution can be formed by the sheer inclusion yes. of people who are not white males. Right. And so like the actuality of, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'm sure there are some law nerds who care about what she does. I, I don't. The law is fake and I don't believe in, you know, respecting it. But the ability of institutions in our society, broadly speaking, to defer all responsibility for maintaining like the world, broadly speaking, onto the individuals, even though they don't have the power to actually do that, is one that is incredibly deleterious. And the Supreme Court, like I said before, is one manifestation of that. But climate change is another, right? We've seen emissions being done by private companies who have the green light from institutions who should be regulating them and regulating emissions while we're all forced to consider our carbon footprint. But yeah, no, I'm ready to call it a day. Thank you all for joining yep. us and I hope you have a great day.